0: So here we are at the start of chapter 5 of the book of Romans. This is lesson 13. And I just want to begin today by reading the opening verses of chapter 5. And it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace, shalom, with God, through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, by whom, We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now I want you to notice first off the word therefore, I I highlighted it. It means that finally, Paul is finally getting to the conclusion of the matter. We're going to run into this word therefore often in the book of Romans. Paul proves his point from scripture and then concludes the matter with a therefore. And so first, what is he getting to the conclusion of? Well, he's concluding the points he's made in the first four chapters. He's going to get to the point of all that he has said. And what is the conclusion? Well, it's real simple. It's Yeshua. It's all about Yeshua. Yeshua. In other words, all of this discourse to the Gentiles in chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, then the Jewish people in chapter 2, showing that we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we deserve what the word of God states as punishment for sin, which is death. Then the discourse on how we have become reconciled and justified before God by faith in the promise of God, And then he compares us to the father of those who believe, our father Abraham, telling us that Abraham received life from the dead with the birth of Isaac. And he received it through faith alone. Telling and proving over and over that we're saved by the grace of God through faith in the promise that God has made. A gift of God, one that cannot be earned through keeping the Torah or by any other means, but solely a gift from God so that no one can boast. And after all of that, he says, Therefore, we have been justified by our faith in the promise and the promised one. We have shalom. And I like to use the word shalom instead of peace because peace doesn't really accurately convey the word shalom. Peace means the absence of strife, the absence of war. But shalom adds to that wholeness and completeness. Peace means we've come to a place where we're no longer at war, but the scars of war remain. But shalom with God means the war is over, but the scars are no longer remain. Because the blessing of God leaves you complete and whole again. And so we could say, therefore, brothers, we have come to this completeness. We have wholeness. There is no strife between us and God. We have been made whole in Yeshua, complete in Yeshua, because through him we have drawn near to God once again, and God is able to bless us. And not just able to bless us, But the fact is, he's determined to bless us. His whole plan is built on the blessing of life with him throughout eternity. Remember, Noah was blessed. He was promised the earth would not be destroyed. Abraham was blessed. He inherited the world. David was blessed. He would never fail to have a son sit on the throne. All of those blessings given through faith and all of the blessings to us are built around the promise of making us like Messiah. And the more we become like Messiah, the greater the blessing he can pour out on us. That means when we accept Yeshua, God focuses his attention on us. He purposes himself to make us like his Son. Yeshua, the one who came from God and fulfilled the promise of God by performing the good deed of good deeds, giving life to the redeemed, is now in us, at work in us, abiding in us, and showing us how to become like Him so that we might, as Ephesians 2 says, do good deeds which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So that when we come to stand before the king one day, we'll have nothing but good to our credit. And he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. And not only that, there's nothing that can keep him from blessing us. There's nothing that can keep him from completing the work in us. Because it is his promise and his promise alone. And there's nothing and no one who can keep him from his promise. Because he owes nobody nothing. Not only will he bless us as we become like Yeshua, he will, once we accept Yeshua, not give up on us. He will not let us go until we are complete in Messiah Yeshua, until we are like his son. The next phrase says, through our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, by whom we have gained access by faith. Other translations say, through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, through whom we have gained access by faith. And I like that better because Yeshua's name is bracketed by this word through. You see, it's all about Yeshua, the Messiah. We have gained shalom with God because of him. We now stand firm in that shalom. It can't be taken from us. He says we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Paul is telling us that we have been justified and we now stand in grace. And the whole thing is credited to Yeshua. We enter through faith in the promise and we stand firm because of faith. And again, it's all about Yeshua, the Messiah. Remember, we looked at this word for grace. I gave you the Thayer's definition and the Strong's definition. I want to just... Briefly read them again. I didn't put it on the screen. It says, Strong said, The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in your life. There is said it this way. Merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turns them to Messiah, keeps, strengthens, increases them in faith, knowledge, affection, and virtue. We stand... Because of the grace, or we could say, the divine influence of God upon our hearts. And it is this divine influence, by this divine influence, that we're able to do the good God would have us do. Not only is right standing with God a free gift through Yeshua, but now we have Messiah Yeshua influence in our hearts to live as He lived. And that's why John can confidently make the statement in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And he says in verse 9, which I didn't put on the screen, but I'll just read for you, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. You know, there would be no sense in justifying you if God didn't have a further plan to produce a change in you. You'd just be doomed, condemned to make the same gross errors over and over and over again. We're saved by grace to do good works, to walk differently through life. And that different walk comes because God's seed, who's the seed of God? Messiah Yeshua remains in us. And that's why John will make this statement in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. And do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Yeshua, His Son, purifies us from all sin. See, John and Paul are in perfect agreement. We're saved by grace to do good works, or as John says, to walk in the light. The whole plan of God is to redeem man so that he can once again have fellowship with him, and that fellowship will produce a change in man's life. And the fact that we do change is proof of that fellowship. What Paul is saying is that the conclusion of the matter is this. You're not going to have shalom with God without Yeshua. You're not going to continue to stand and be strengthened in faith without Yeshua. You know, we spoke of it last week. Remember, in chapter 4, we spoke of how Abraham was strengthened in his faith. And I'm just going to read it real quick again in chapter 4, verse 20 because Paul is going to conclude this in the next chapter. He says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, because, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. Notice what he said he did not waver, but was strengthened. And that's what Paul says of Abraham in chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, he concludes that word with this. Therefore. Through our Lord Yeshua, by whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. We stand, we do not waver, we're strengthened. In other words, we stand through Yeshua the Messiah. Not only do we gain access, but then we stand, we remain because of Yeshua. It's He who strengthens us, keeps us from wavering in unbelief, It's our experience with Him that strengthens our faith, our prayer life, our speaking with Him, our communing with Him, becoming like Him. That's the only reason we stand. We couldn't stand without it. Remember last week I said when someone comes to me or I read a book and it says Yeshua was only a man, it doesn't have any effect on my belief. Because I think back to the day Yeshua healed me and I know that I know that that is a lie because no man could do what he did that day. It's my speaking with him in my prayer closet and his guidance, his direct guidance in my life that I know that I know that he was not just a man because dead men can't do those things. And so I do not waver because I know no man can do those things. Romans chapter 1, in verse 3, Paul, remember Paul said this. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. He's alive. And he's alive because he's the Son of God, the promised one. And he does the things he does. He heals, he saves, not because he's just a man, but because he is the Son of God. He's one with the Father. You know, I I hear people say really stupid things all the time. And one of the stupid things I hear people say is, you know, they'll say, do you really believe that God died on a stake? And I say to that, yeah, part of God died on a stake in 30 common era. Not only that, his heart was broken as he watched his son pay the ransom for you and I. And so I stand not because of some hope, but I stand in confidence. I've seen that promise unfold in my life. I feel his presence in my life ever changing me, ever correcting me, and disciplining me because the son of God loves me. And the Father loves me. And their love is eternal. They will not let me go because the price that was paid was too high, too great. And God is not willing to lose any of those he loves. Finally, he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory. Some translations don't use the word rejoice. They say we boast in the hope of the glory. What does Hebrews tell us? Hebrews tells us that the sun is the radiance of God's glory. You see, again, it's all about Yeshua. I don't know about you, but you you may have noticed I boast about Messiah Yeshua. I boast in Yeshua because In my life, it's all about Yeshua. There's no good thing in my life that I can't point back to and say, Yeshua did that. That word hope, I'm not a real fan of that translation, that word hope there. Because in our language, if you look up the word hope, it means to think or to want something to happen. And all throughout Paul's letter, he's been telling us that the promise of God is a done deal. As an example from last week, Uh, We looked at Abraham and he said, I have made you the father of many nations. Not I will make you the father of many nations. I have made you the father of many nations. It's a done deal. And what I'm saying, it's not, it is not a hope, but it is a certainty. It doesn't make any difference what I think is going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't hope. I know for certain that it's going to happen. The only hope I have is that it'll be sooner and not later. I'd like to see it happen in my lifetime. Now, he uses the word hope or boast. I want to look at somewhere else that it's used so that we can get a good idea of what he means here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Therefore, remember that... Formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember at that time you were separate from Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants and the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Messiah. You see, we were without hope, we were without confidence, but now in Messiah Yeshua, we have hope, we have confidence. And don't you love that phrase? That is the most amazing phrase in the Bible, in Messiah Yeshua. Those are the most wondrous three words in all of Scripture. In Him, we draw near to the Father. Because we're near in Messiah we have shalom. No one, nothing can take it from us as long as we remain in our faith in the promise. And we can't help but remain because, as Paul said in verse two, faith into this grace in which we now stand. We've been brought near, we remain because we stand in Messiah Yeshua as he and Yeshua as Hebrews tells us, this is the radiance of God's glory, and we stand in Him. I spoke of no matter, no matter what anyone says to me, I stand because my experience with Yeshua. Well, Paul, you can look at the life of Paul and see the same thing. Look at what it's Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 5 says. Listen to this. Meanwhile, Shaul was breathing out murderous threats against the disciples. The Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Shaul, Shaul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Shaul asked. I am Yeshua, who you are persecuting. I want you to notice what Yeshua says. Paul is persecuting the disciples. And Yeshua says, why do you persecute me? That is what it means to be in the Messiah. If someone touches you, Yeshua takes it quite personal. It's just as if they touched him. And notice what else he says. A light flashed all around him and the glory of Yeshua flashes all around him. And in a moment, he realizes it's all about Yeshua. This one event in the life of Shaul changes him forever because he realizes it's all about Yeshua. Paul thought he was walking in the light. And Yeshua blinds him. And then later gives him back his sight. And from that day forward, he sees things a whole lot differently. He sees it's all about Yeshua. He will never forget, and he will never waver, just as I can never forget standing in a field, crying out to Yeshua, and waking the next morning a new creation. Verse 3 says this in chapter 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in the sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We walk with Yeshua. When we walk, our walk with Yeshua, you know, it isn't without testings. Yeshua disciplines those he loves. That discipline brings about change in us. Also, the world tears at our faith. That tearing. Brings about perseverance. And that brings about character. And there's our word hope again. It would be better confidence again. Verse 5 says, And the hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. That confidence doesn't disappoint because we're standing in Messiah Yeshua. We've been given the dwelling presence of God. And whenever we call, He's there. His love permeates our being. You know, when you realize that Messiah came into this world to redeem you, not just the world, but you, he came and he died and his father watched him suffer and die for you. You know, we think in terms of the world and that all, and, and, and all men, he came for all men and we think of what Messiah did and that's okay and it's the truth but the problem is, is that's too impersonal. What I need to focus on is what he did for me and what you need to focus on is what he did for you. And when you read about what happened to him, and we always cover this in our Passover seders, that he was beaten beyond recognition of a man, mutilated. His body, he he was mutilated so badly that he died on the stake in a matter of six hours. Something that would ordinarily take days. But he died in a matter of six hours because he was so abused before they put him on the stake. The Son of God, beaten, humiliated, mutilated, put to death for me and for you. But I want you to understand if there was no one else in the world to save and there was just you, he would have done it for you alone or me alone because he loves us that much. Not only that, Most of you heard my testimony, how I accepted Yeshua at the young age of nine, eight or nine, and then spent the next 30 years going my own way, destroying my life and the lives of others. But he loved me so much, and the price that he paid was so great, that all it took was one moment in a field, in a drunken stupor, and the words, Jesus, I need your help. I made a mess of my life, I can't go on without you, and guess what, he was there. He was there because he won't let me go. Because when I was eight years old, I accepted him and he stood by my side through the next 30 years of my miserable, destructive life, just near, just watching and waiting for me to say those words. And when he heard those words, he said, That's what I came for. That's why I suffered. That's why I died. Because I love you and you need help. And that's why Paul says next, he says in verse 6, You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Messiah died for the ungodly. He did what he did for me, not because I was a Torah scholar, not because uh, I merited anything, but he did it for me He did what he did because he loved me and I was powerless to help myself. And notice what Paul says, at just the right time, and the Greek word there means this, I put it up here for you, a fixed and definite time, the time when things are brought to crisis, the decisive epic waited for. It's a double meaning here. You see, this word could also be used for appointed time. At the appointed time, and we all know the appointed times of God are his Sabbath and his festivals. And sure enough, on Passover, 30 common era, at the appointed time, the decisive epic Abraham had seen and waited for and longed for happened. In the same way, at the time of crisis in our lives, the decisive moment in my life, the one that Yeshua died for and waited for, That moment when I was powerless, he revealed himself to me and did what he did for me. Jews have been called Christ killers and hated for being Christ killers. And when you think of it in personal terms, you realize that no one took Messiah's life and the church for centuries have persecuted the Jewish people in ignorance because they didn't understand what Yeshua did for them. When you take it personal you realize he gave his life for you. And notice he puts it he says we while we were still powerless emphasis on the we cuz he's speaking of himself and his Jewish brothers he includes himself in the statement. He says we. Remember what he said of himself in Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 and 6. 4 through 6 he says if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I am more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. That is who he was, and he says of that, when we were still powerless. All of that in his life, and he was powerless. He was blind. Not only were Gentiles powerless, but even the most Torah observant were powerless. And so he says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good one some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. Again, notice the word we. He includes himself. A Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, In regard to legalistic righteousness, faultless. And he says, while we were yet sinners, Messiah died for me. He includes me in the we. And Messiah didn't do it for anything that we had done or because we merited his favor. No, he did it because we were sinners, hopeless, helpless, and he loved us. He died for me. He died for you just because... We needed help. And he will never leave or forsake you if you need help again because the price he paid was so high. See, even if you did as I did and walk away, he'll still stand ever so close by waiting for you to say, I need your help. Because it's for you and me, he did it. Your ransom has been paid once and for all. If you make a mistake, get up, repent, move on, because your ransom has been paid once and for all. Hebrews says this in chapter 10, verse 10 and 12. He says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Messiah once and for all. Day after day, the, every high priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Yeshua said it a little simpler. After being on the stake for those six hours, he just said, It's finished. You see, it's been decided at the appointed time Yeshua gave his life as a ransom so at the moment of crisis in your life he could say, I forgive, debt paid. And that would have been enough, as we say in Passover. It would have been enough. But he did more, as Paul says in verse 5. Remember he said, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He's given us the means to go on from there and walk in the light to live lives that are filled with good and void of sin. Not because the law is no longer convicting of sin, not because the law is done away with, but he changes you to conform to its principles. And that's why John will tell us in in 1 John 3, chapter 4 through 6, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning and no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. He didn't leave us alone in the world, but he has given us the dwelling presence, the whole of the good news, everything Messiah did, he did to produce a change in you. He came into the world to die for you. He died for you. Your debt paid. He paid your debt so that you can be free to serve him. Paul puts it this way in the very next chapter, chapter 6. He'll say this in verses 1 through 4. He'll say, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Messiah, were baptized into his death? We therefore have been buried with him through baptism into his death in order that just as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The whole of the good news, the whole of the death of Yeshua, and more importantly the resurrection, was that we might live a new life. A life of walking in the light, as John says. Verse 9, Paul says this. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Yeshua, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Look at how he puts it. We were God's enemies. Above, he said, while we were still powerless, while we were yet sinners. Messiah died for us. And now he says, when we were enemies of God, Sin makes you an enemy of God. Look at the word here that's used for enemy. Hated, odious, hateful, hostile, hating, opposing. The devil, who is the most bitter enemy of the divine government. That's what sin does to you. It makes you God's enemy. Makes you an enemy of God. Here's what faith in Messiah Yeshua, like that of Abraham, does for you. And the life change that ensues does for you. James chapter 2 and verse 23. All scripture was filled, fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And so we learn that faith and living a changed life makes you a friend of God. And sin makes you an enemy of God. No wonder Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. So here's the deal. You've been justified by faith in Messiah Yeshua and that faith in Messiah gives you the dwelling presence of God to guide you through life. And so the choice is, will you follow the guide? and be led into a Torah, true Torah observance, becoming a friend of God, or will you continue to live as his enemies? And I want to close with this one phrase in this verse. It says, How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Saved through his life. I thought we were saved through his death. Well, Paul tells us, through death we were reconciled. Then he says, how much more? Can you hear the kol Homer in there? The arguing from the least to the greatest? Kol Homer, arguing from the least important to the more important. Having been reconciled, the least important, to the more important. Living a life through the example of Yeshua's life. Let us be true disciples of the Messiah Yeshua. Amen?